Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Now, this one, uh, this next story should, um, I think it should spark a bit of a response. A UCC virologist claims the country will have 1,000 cases of COVID-19 within eight weeks if the current trend continues and schools are allowed to reopen. Professor Jerry Killeen, AXA Research Chair in Applied Pathogen Ecology at the School of Biological Earth and Environmental Sciences in University College Cork, said Ireland is going down the wrong path in reopening schools. So then, Jerry, why is that the case? Well, I, I think it's it's more the case that we've been on the wrong path or we, we jumped off the right path at the end of June. And even without reopening schools, um, you know, we're, we're, we're on, clearly on the wrong path. So if anybody can, and people, um, I guess I'm just helping people to kind of figure these things out for themselves and the numbers. We can all see the news every night. We all know that we were below 10 cases a day back at the end of June. Uh, we all know that we're hovering around the 100 case a day mark today. So, you know, 100 cases is about 10 times 10 cases. That took two months. So there's no reason to expect that in two months from now, if we keep going as we're going, it would be less than 1,000 cases a day. And then two months after that, it would be less than 10,000 cases a day. So even without reopening the schools, which isn't going to help, then we're already in trouble. And the sooner we react to this, the better. The tragedy is we were on the right track and we could have been reopening the schools safely or very close to it if we just stuck with it and eliminated this virus from the country. Okay, so where did we go wrong as you would see it? Well, we we were on track towards uh, zero cases nationally back in June. We would have been getting there about now. We would at least be in a countdown. You know, once you get down to zero cases a day, there's a protocol for going through a certain number of days before you can be sure that a, a virus or a pathogen is gone. And uh, and we could have used that time to tighten up our airports, our ports, um, you know, how we deal with the border, coordinate with Northern Ireland, all those kinds of things, which are not easy to do. So the time to get started on them was back in back in April, really. Okay, so you're saying that uh, NFET, the National Public Health Emergency Team, the scientists, the doctors, the politicians, you're effectively saying they've got it all wrong. Is that the case? Yes. 
Right. Well, that doesn't, uh, if you like, inject much confidence in the system that we have. The scientists would argue that they're looking at the trends every day. The decisions they are taking uh, are based on trends and they are confident that opening the schools uh, will be safe enough. Are you saying then that with lots of children, lots of pupils and students, whatever, going back to school in the next week or two, and you're saying that the number of cases uh, are likely to increase, that suggests that uh, schools could become dangerous places? Yeah, but you know, if I was the if I was the prime minister of the viral population, and I was to ask my minister for transmission to design a system um, in a congregated setting with lots of young people who are likely to carry the virus quietly without showing any overt symptoms, and then distributing it around the community and out through lots of different families, you know, as a kind of a viral travel hub, it would look pretty much like a school. So, I know that. The schools are absolutely doing their best. And I think that I really feel for the schools and then all the parents who are trying to make this work and everybody's doing their best. And I'm sure most schools will do the best job possible. But, you know, the the thing about COVID that makes it different from SARS or Ebola or any of those other things is that people can carry it around without knowing for an awfully long time. Most people who get it never know they had it. That's particularly true of children. And so... The, and that's why outbreak response um, doesn't work so well for this virus, because you know by the time you close the stable door, it's not that the horse is bolted. You may have 10, 20, 30, but the horses have bolted. So outbreaks can become very large before you notice. By the time you mount an outbreak response, you know, you can't round up all those horses. And so and you can see that in all the pictures of all the school outbreaks that have been documented around the world, including the one recently in, in Dundee. You know, how does it get so big before anybody notices? And that's asymptomatic transmission, you know, carrying the virus without knowing it. That's what brought it into the nursing homes. That's what brought it into meat plants. It's what brought it into the country. You know, that hasn't changed. And uh, there's no reason to believe that it wouldn't bring it into schools. Uh, one thing I would uh, say, uh, if you like, against what you're saying is that while the rate of infections has gone up again, the actual rate of deaths has sort of stabilised. I think we're around 1,777 at the moment. Uh, the number of people dying uh, seems to have stopped, if you understand what I'm saying. And that would suggest that the median age appears to have come down. And those that are being infected are, if you like, uh, less vulnerable to death. So that would suggest that things are not as bad as you say. Well, yeah, the second wave is going to look very different from the first one. So there's two things that are very different. First of all, it's not broadly distributed across the populations, particularly running its route through younger people, which means uh, over the short term, it means lower fatality rates and it means also lower rates of overt symptoms, which sounds like good news. Um, the other thing that's that's different is that our you know our vulnerable settings, our care homes, etc., are much better prepared for this. So the rate of leakage from the general population into those contexts is lower, which means that you know there's two problems here. If we wait till the deaths start to kick in, until we wait until that kind of leakage rate into our vulnerable settings gets high enough for us to see it in the fatalities, it means that the reservoir of infection amongst the non-vulnerable population, those um, those younger folks, is going to be much, much bigger. So by the time we respond, we have a much, much bigger problem to deal with than we did with the first wave. 
And that's been the story in the United States. Our friends working in um, in emergency um, medicine well, units. Well, let, just let me stop you there. Let, let me stop you there. I think you were talking to Cork ninety six FM yesterday, and I think you referred to the situation in Israel. What did Israel do wrong that perhaps the authorities here could learn from? Well, I, Israel made the same mistakes that we all made here in Europe. That once they got down to the last few cases, they thought that this was over. Um, they launched their kind of economic reboot plan, and that involved reopening the schools. And then Israel turned into a particularly extreme example because they got hit by a heat wave after they reopened the schools. So the first thing that happened was the masks came off, and then that wasn't enough. So then the windows got closed and the air conditioning got turned on, and that you know you know is not so different from one of our meat plants. So the outbreaks in Israeli schools were extreme. So if you were the Taoiseach, or indeed the Minister for Health, uh, what would be the Jerry Killeen model for, if you like, stopping the spread of COVID-19? Get us back to a, a hybrid of phase one and phase two, soup it up with a few additional you know, um, interventions, like closing off you know, communal seating areas, little things like that, um, you know, closing down takeaways, those kinds of things. And then work on our our infection um, containment at our borders um, in, and introduce a county based kind of green zoning plan so that you know even people on our border with Northern Ireland can move around a little bit, but we we won't see you know we won't see a, a plane load of stagniters from uh, a hot spot in in the UK for example flying into Belfast getting on a bus to Dublin etc. Um, you singled out their takeaways. Uh, why so? Any takeaways I've been in in the last uh, month or two, they all seem to be behaving themselves? Uh, by and large, they are, but then you see an awful lot of um, food being prepared with no mask on. Now, the person is behind um, the, the plexiglass, but, um, you know, it means the person is not wearing a mask while they're preparing the food. You walk away with it. And I think one thing I'd bring to all your listeners' attention is the importance of community transmission because it's the minority of the cases we see, but it's actually the majority of cases that are ongoing. And their community transmission is, by definition, untraceable. It's, it's all the stuff that we can't link back to a close contact, and it's all the stuff that is accounted for by you know, what we think of as the minor routes of transmission, the um, contact with fomites, with contaminated surfaces, the... Um, the good joke you you told while you're walking along the street that that left a few particles hanging in the air, all that stuff that's you know almost impossible to pin down with epi data, but it all adds up. Sure. And it all you, you, you know, gives us the situation we're yeah. in today. You touched on something there in the answer to the last question, and I, I wonder if it's significant. The fact that we have an open border in this country, and as you say, people could uh, take a flight from London to Belfast, get the bus or the train down here, is that in any way significant? Well, it is, yes. And we're, we're going to have to coordinate with our, with our neighbours, the most important one being Northern Ireland. Uh, Scotland is already on an elimination plan. Um, you know, there's even talk about it in, in England at present. And all of our European neighbours, sooner or later, everybody's going to realise there's no other way out of this. So sooner is better late than later. And I'd prefer we were part of the group that led from the front rather than the group that led from the middle and had to be pulled along by others. 
Uh, Jerry, do you think that uh, we've become a little bit laid back about this virus in that back in March and April, everybody was worried, everybody was sitting indoors, there was a sense of fear. Uh, the median age, I think, was up in the 60s. It's come down to people dying now in their 40s. Do you think there's an attitude of, actually, we're getting over this, sure, there's no need to be as strict as we were. Are we losing our sense of fear about this virus? I think we had, I think it's starting to kick in again as we all kind of realize that, um, you know, I always describe flattening the curve as a mirage, but now I'm, I'm more inclined to use the term illusion because it is, um, you know, it's not technically viable. And now this is, a, you know, a, a plan that, you know, it's full of holes and, and we've been sold and it, it just doesn't stand up. I think the most dangerous part of phase three was the illusion of of normality, um, which we all love getting a taste of. I mean, I had a, went out for one restaurant meal and I looked around me and it didn't make sense. But, you know, I was there. I said, let me relax and enjoy it. And for a couple of hours, I really did enjoy it. And we were, you know, I was able to forget about all of this. And, of course, you know, it's, um, it's a tender trap. Um, now, unfortunately, you know, that, um, you know, that we're, it, we're not back to normality. The new normal, um, you know, this is, this is what it looks like or worse. You know, Kildare has already been locked down. Uh, you know, it's Tipperary's headed the wrong direction. We don't know what's going to happen, uh, you know, where things are going to flare up next. And if we proceed with this living with the virus plan, you know, every sensible um, projection by every competent mathematical modeler on the planet says it goes on for years. Sure. So, you know, the, the economy can't stand that. And I think a lot of people's sanity can't, can't either. All right. Well, let's see what happens. We'll, we'll see if your predictions uh, come through. That's uh, Jerry Killeen there, who is chair of Applied Pathogen Ecology at the School of Biological Earth and Environmental Sciences in University College Cork. And he says that there'll be a thousand cases of COVID-19 within eight weeks if the current trend continues and schools are allowed to reopen. OK, keep those comments coming. Marie will be with us uh, just around quarter to 11 or thereabouts. Our WhatsApp text number is 086. 086- one eight hundred six five eight. Our phone number is eighteen fifty seven one five nine five eight, and the email address is michael at lmfm.ie. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.